TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Well, good morning again, and welcome to another edition of The Connection. I'm Ann Baldwin, one of your hosts, and thrilled to have with me again uh, one of my favorite co-hosts, Beth Connor from The Connection. Uh, Lisa's been taking a little bit of a break to visit her mother, but... Um, she'll be back with us soon. So, Beth, thank you again for being here. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. How are things going? Thanks, Anne. Everything's great, and good morning to everybody. I'm just loving this weather. Doesn't it just? It's just been so great. I love fall. It's one of my favorites. I went uh, apple picking last weekend, and it's just there's something mm-hmm. about it. That's what I love about Connecticut. Whenever I get mad about why I live in Connecticut, then I'm reminded when the seasons change. So. I, we're really. It, it is a beautiful time. Yeah, blessed to it live. It is a beautiful time. Yeah, blessed to live in a state that has four seasons. If we could only get rid of one of them, we'd be good. But oh well. I, I think everybody thinks the same, and we <laughs> won't say which one that is. <laughs> yeah, you guys can guess. Speaking of fall, uh, the connection is planning a conference this fall, and of course, this year it has to be a virtual conference um, because we are unable to meet in person. I would love to introduce our guest today, who is a partner with The Connection um, on our conference. This is Jamal Jimerson, who's the founder of the Minority Inclusion Project and also managing partner for Thought Partner Solutions. Jamal, are you there? Good morning. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. So, (laughs) Jamal, tell us a little bit about uh, your work, and uh, then we can talk a little bit more about the conference. But... Uh, tell our listeners all the uh, wonderful things that you're involved with in terms of BIPOC uh, leadership and excellence. Sure. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been uh, working in and around the nonprofit sector for the last 20 years. Um, about five years ago, I started in an organization called the Minority Inclusion Project, where the focus is on trying to create pathways to leadership for uh, black, indigenous, and people of color um, across the social sector, trying to figure out how we can get folks into leadership and into board governance roles. Um, as an extension of that work, um, I started a consulting business uh, focused on trying to do more systems change, so working with institutions, structures, uh, regional governments, on how they can also make some really important changes to address uh, systemic and structural racism. Uh, so the combination of, of, both of, of both of those lanes for me um, 
allowed me to do a lot. I do education, training, uh, consulting. Um, I facilitate uh, deep anti-racism work. Um, I do a lot of this work in predominantly white spaces. Um, but what we try to do is try to plant seeds of knowledge and really provoke thoughts, feelings, and actions that go beyond sort of just the intellectual and strategic. So really we're trying to get at people's hearts and minds. Um, and, and ultimately what we want to do is open up room for uh, racial intergroup dialogue, um, for, some, for some learning to happen, to happen, but also to, to do what we can to arm people with the tools they need to not only just dismantle um, institutional and structural racism, but to also have, uh, you know, a vision in place and some tools in place to really drive us toward uh, something new and better. And so fundamentally, that's what we do and what we've done for the last roughly five years. So you were a uh, presenter at last year's conference, and we're really looking forward to working with you this year. This year's conference, um, we're sort of taking a different approach, as I mentioned, not only because it's virtual, but do you want to talk a little bit about um, the conference this year? Uh, It's in November, right? Uh, It's called Moving Upstream this year, which uh, has a, a few connotations. It's not about fish, right, moving upstream. It has a few connotations about um, sort of society and where we are and social determinants of health. So tell us a little bit about what you're going to be presenting at the conference and what it's going to mean to people that want to attend. Basically, you know, to take sort of a big picture view, what we're doing is we're approaching this with the lens that uh, race, which essentially is a, a social construction that's been used to, you know, socially divide us and, and really um, leverage uh, power um, to, to really um, move communities apart from one another. We're arguing that race, which is the social construction, is undeniably a, a public health issue. And public health um, is any issue in public health is something that hurts or kills people or it fundamentally impedes their ability to live a healthy, prosperous life. So our goal here is to connect those dots for folks to help people to see uh, the way race and racism specifically have been have become a really critical public health issue. And you know, this I think for a lot of folks, this is um, a topic that people are really open to, particularly during this time. You mentioned earlier, you, you mentioned a little bit about COVID, and you know, ultimately, like COVID nineteen has really helped to reveal um, the the link the clear links between, uh, you know, race and, and public health and, and fundamentally uh-huh. that racism and xenophobia uh, are, are fundamentally like, you know, the key ingredient to really being able to, uh, to fracture us socially and politically um, based on, you know, a variety of different factors and a lot of history there. So what we're hoping to do is to connect the dots for folks and to use our time to talk about how race and racism uh, shows up within our system, and fundamentally to also offer some insight and perspective on how to address and challenge some of those issues. And a lot of this is really rooted in um, understanding or having a better understanding of not only just um, race and racism from the lens of those who may be a part of or complicit with advancing racism, but also from the perspective of BIPOC folks, and we talk black, indigenous, and people of color, who regularly have to deal with what is known as the invisible experience, essentially, of going through and and dealing with some of those racial issues. So I'm hoping to bring light to that. What's the date of the conference? So it's going to be actually held over several weeks. 
and uh, we'll start on November 10th and 12th and 17th and 19th. Okay, so it's like a four-part series? It's a four-part series that people sign up for, okay. and they, you know, pay for the series. And then if they are, you know, unfortunate uh, and unfortunately miss one of them, they can get to it afterwards. It'll be uh, recorded for them. So if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Jamal Jimerson, and Jamal is going to be playing a role in what I guess we could call a four-part series Uh, which is entitled Moving Upstream, which The Connection is putting on. There's some great content. If you want more information on this and you want to sign up, again, it's a four-part series on November 10th, 12th, 17th, and 19th, and all the information is there. And if you miss one, Beth, I guess um, the good news is this is all going to be captured and people can go back yes. to the one that they that they may have missed. But you really don't want to miss anything. So, Jamal, let me ask you this. You know, you talked about, you know, in the state that we're in, and, and you referred to COVID. Um, but what about the other state that we're in with all the unrest and, and all the, the things that are going on out in our world and, you know, the political unrest and, and the looting and the rioting? And, I mean, is that helping us or is that hurting us? Um, I think um, it's... It's, it's neither helping nor hurting. I think it's a, a reflection of the, the deeper issues that have existed literally for hundreds of years in this country. And I think what's happened is that those issues are now beginning to manifest themselves in the form of, uh, of obviously a lot of political unrest, but also the civil unrest that we see across the country as well. I mean, frankly, um, whichever side you're on on this, I think there's, there's a lack of understanding of the perspectives of those who are on the other side, right? And so it really has, has uh, eroded a real deep issue that has been in existence in this country for a long time. And fundamentally, that issue is tied to uh, cultural, institutional, and as well as individual racism. All of these things are kind of connected. And I think what's happened is we've reached a point in our country where um, now more than ever folks are demanding that we have open conversations about this and that we do what's necessary to not only just dismantle racism, but that we do what's necessary to build a more racially equitable society, which is fundamentally Uh the systematic fair treatment of people of all races um, that results in equitable opportunities and outcomes for everyone. And so I think that what we're seeing now is just really a a cry out, if you will, a call for us to, to pay more attention to these issues. A lot of the, the systemic issues that we talk about, the cultural and institutional problems that are there, have reached a point where they are so uh, covert um, that they are woven into the fabric of our society that many people, I think, have a perspective that it just doesn't exist, um, that there is no problem, that folks have made this up in their minds or, or you know, that, that this is just imagined. And, frankly, uh, there's, there's lots of information and data out there that supports the fact that this is, that's a complete Untruth. I mean, you know, there are connections between, um, you know, uh, people of color and, and physical health disparities, um, where, for example, African Americans are, are roughly 2.3 times the infant mortality rate of non Hispanic whites, for example. Um, you have other uh, physical health disparities, such as BIPOC, that have increased risk of heart disease and hypertension and stroke and diabetes. And when you start looking at the why, when you start pulling back the layers and asking why these issues exist, then you begin to get to the root of some of those issues that have existed really since this country's uh, been founded. And so I think 
uh, a lot of folks today feel as though they didn't create problems, um, so they don't feel a sense of responsibility to solve them. And so that creates some resistance. There's also a lot of unconscious incompetence. People just they don't know what they don't know, and, and they don't want to be complicit in racism, but they may not know what they are. And then there are also folks who have been on the receiving end of these, of these traumas, um, generational traumas that have been passed down from generation to generation. Now, I'm talking specifically now about, um, you know, black, indigenous, people of color, other folks who have been minoritized and racialized in this country. And I think what's happened is all of those voices are now coming out now, and people are, are screaming out about the injustice. I think the, the, uh-huh. the taping of the murder of George Floyd um, the, the calling out of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and, and Breonna Taylor and so many more has really also raised the public consciousness around these issues. Again, highlighting an issue that's been sort of covert for so long um, now is, is public knowledge. So it's up to us now to figure out what do we do with all this new information that we have. And I think the, the uh, expectation is that we're going to drive toward racial equity um, through an anti-racist lens, that we're going to speak out against racism, that we're uh-huh. going to dismantle racist policies and practices, and that we're going to move our country toward being more racially equitable. Uh, but that takes leadership. It takes sound leadership. It takes compassionate leadership. And unfortunately, in some areas of our, of our country right now, that leadership is not there. And so we've got a lot of work to do. And I love the name of your organization, which is Thought Partners. And this is really a thoughtful discussion, uh, Jamal. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to be working with you on this conference. Um, I know that people will really get a lot out of it because, as you mentioned, it's, you know, it it is an issue that's sort of come to light in our society. Um, But it's, um, it's really something that we all have to be cognizant of and something that we need to wrap our arms around and move forward and move it upstream, right? Um, because there, there is a lot of inequity out there. And, uh, you know, we want to make the world a better place, little by little. Absolutely. And we all have a role in doing it. I think, you know, the, the hope is that, is that we begin to see the opportunities for allyship, um, for, for us to work together, to be on the front lines together for change. I think that right. even amongst people who have divergent sort of viewpoints and opinions or perspectives, that there are some common uh, grounds. There are some things that we can all agree on. And I think that that creates an opportunity. But then there's also the reality that some things are just flat out wrong. And, and part of what we need to do as a country is really acknowledge those wrongs. So while they're coming to the forefront now, it's very important that we take an opportunity, as many opportunities as we can, to acknowledge the wrong that's been done, acknowledge the root cause of a lot of our social ills today, and then by acknowledging them, we can begin to commit ourselves to transforming our country, transforming our communities, and genuinely moving upstream. And I think uh, that's really what this call is about. For a long time, we were trying to make changes without necessarily acknowledging the depth of the problem. And at this right. point, I don't think there's any way around it. We have to acknowledge it. But, Jamal, don't Absolutely. you don't you also feel, too, that this has to go both ways, right? Um, th- there's got to be mutual respect. And do you think we can ever achieve that goal? I- I'm just asking. You know, i got to tell you, in my own little world, I'm sitting here agonizing over the presidential election because it's going to be nothing but trouble if it goes one way and it's going to be nothing but trouble if it goes another way. So I think about the tools that people need to get over the humps to 
kind of be able to deal with each other respectfully, regardless of the climate. You know, we all need those tools. But I'm just wondering, it has been going on for years. It is in our historic DNA. Is it ever going to change? You know, I think that in the kind of work that I do, I have to believe that, that it will. Um, I have to believe that, that it's going to take um, a lot of work to get to a place where we have sort of found reconciliation. But the thing about reconciliation is that it requires um, true acknowledgement of problems. It, 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 it requires some validation, some recognition. Um, it requires some atonement. Um, and, and, and all of these things are not quite there. It's going to require a level of justice that has to be put in place. And, and so while we want people to be respectable and we want people to be engaged in a way that is, that is uh, going to drive the conversation in a more positive direction, we also have to understand that some of these issues go so deep and go back so long that they've created um, a, a lack of trust between folks, um, people of color particularly, and, and, and the white establishment in this country. And I think that it's going to require um, an acknowledgement that you are a part of a culture, a dominant culture, that has been uh, complicit in playing any role in the oppression of a black, indigenous, and other people of color, that before you can, you can reach a point of reconciliation, that there has to be a willingness to acknowledge the scope, the full scope, of the problem. And that means that when we look at the manifestation of the problem, whether it's in our education system, or in our legal system, or our health system, we have to be able to look at that, not just through the lens of what we see the problem is and just say, well, with these people are problematic. We have to look at what got us to this point. And like any problem, if the, the fruit is essentially going to be a reflection of the root, so if we don't get to the root issue and address the root problem, we will never be able to improve the, 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 the fruit, essentially. So I'm arguing that if you want to have a more meaningful, respectable dialogues and conversations at this point, there's going to have to be a genuine humility shown and a validation shown of the experiences of BIPOC folk. And that's something that we don't see happening when we have our, our current um, president who's saying things like there's no such thing as systemic racism or arguing that, you know, federal employees cannot be receive training in a critical race theory, which argues that racism is endemic and it's literally normalized in American life. It's a theory that's been around since the early 80s. It was, it was started out uh, in being used heavily in the legal field, and it has expanded to really be something that a lot of uh, uh, scholars have, have used to argue about this, the presence of, of systemic racism. And, and the, the data supports it, the anecdotal support it. So for when you have a, a world leader, the leader of the free world stands up and says that it doesn't exist, um, much like he said, there's, there's no basis to, to some of the scientists out there about COVID. Those kind of statements can be harmful, and what it does is it disregards the lived experiences of people who are just as American as anyone else in this country, and then it, it doesn't allow for there to be any room for the advancement of the conversation to a place where there can be true reconciliation. It, it does more harm than good. So at some point, um, the expectation of people of color to, to play nice and be respectable um, is not going to work. We've done that for hundreds of years, and it, it hasn't gotten us anywhere. Um, at this point, the folks who are in the dominant culture have to be willing to hold um, political figures and other folks who are commun from most communities accountable for acknowledging the existence of racism and acknowledging how it plays out in so many facets of our community, the harm that it continues to do, not just to people of color, but to white folks as well, 
And frankly, that we need to all be working together to, to bust it up, and not just in a covert form, not just when we see it on a video, but literally when it shows up in every other facet of our society, we've got to be willing to call it out. All right, so it's, Jamal... It's J- uncomfortable okay. work, it's difficult, but we have to do it. All right, so Jamal's going to be part of this Moving Upstream uh, four-part uh, conference that The Connection is sponsoring or putting on, we should say. And you can go to theconnectioninc.org if you'd like more information. The dates are uh, November 10th, 12th, 17th, and 19th. So I know Jamal's going to be part of this on the um, on the 12th, and then you're going to wrap things up, Beth, with a panel discussion. What else does this um, conference have to offer people who might be interested? Well, we have other speakers uh, that are going to be joining us. So, Beth, who else um, will be taking part in your conference that starts on November 10th? So we have Dr. Anthony Hatch, who's a sociologist and associate professor and chair of science and society program at Wesleyan University. He's a published author, and his topic is, Can We Get There From Here?, Uh, Sailing Upstream Toward Health Justice. He's going to be talking about the social determinants of health. Um, We also have Dr. Mesa Akbar. Um, Her topic is urban trauma. She'll be speaking on the 17th, I should say, as well. Um, Dr. Anthony Hatch will be speaking on November 10th. Uh, Dr. Akbar will be talking again about urban trauma, which is a phrase that she has coined, and um, just fascinating information about this topic. So we really have some leaders in the field. Uh, We're looking forward to it being a very informative, thought-provoking conference. Well, it sounds like it. So Jamal Jimerson, who is the owner and chief equity officer at Thought Partner Solutions, And uh, the topic of his presentation is moving upstream. Thank you for being on the program again. And I'm sure folks are looking forward to hearing what you have to say uh, come November. Looking forward to it as well. Thank you for having me. And Beth, thanks Thanks again. Thank you for sitting in, Beth. I appreciate that as well. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports that clock at four Doncic. the step back three you bet music you set my world on fire yes, and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on tune in go to tune in.com or download the tune in app to start listening